Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. So we look to God's word. Uh, Jesus has presented himself as king. And in the last couple of scenes in the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus has told them that suffering will be involved. Suffering will be there for him. And as they follow him, it shouldn't be unusual for them as well to participate in suffering. I want to remind you, even before we get rolling this morning, that we should not live our life uh, seeking to avoid trials and sufferings. We shouldn't decide whether we're going to be involved in something, whether there will be a cost to it or an inconvenience or a a discomfort. Uh, We should ask the question, what is the plan of God? What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to participate in? What does he not want me to participate in? These are the types of questions that will guide us in his path. Uh, And we should not be deterred because there's a cost involved and a cost of suffering or trials. We're looking this morning at uh, Matthew chapter 17. And if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the first um, section there. Starting in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up the high mountain by themselves. And he, trans- he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses, Elijah, Moses and Elijah, and talking with them, talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not want to recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. God, we ask your blessing on our time. We ask that your word would mark our lives. Help us to see what you want us to see from this passage, that we would be instructed, encouraged, and walk faithfully with you this week. Thank you for your spirit, who is our teacher. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. get a marker in that first verse where Jesus, actually Matthew records 
that it's been six days since the last scene that he recorded. And what we get here is a marching through. And if you look at that last verse in chapter 16, it says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I connect these two passages together. I believe that this is going to be the fulfillment of this, that they're going to now see what Jesus said they were going to see. They're going to see something that is special, that is a a precursor both to their death and to his death. And Jesus is going to reveal to them. Jesus has spoken of suffering of himself and that they would also be one who suffer in his place and in his footsteps. And I want to remind you, be careful, be careful when it comes to suffering. We live in a, in a place of comfort. We live in a country of comfort. We live in a time of comfort. Uh, you say, oh, no, we don't. I, you know, I, there's all kinds of things that aren't comfortable about this place that I live. You know how slow my internet speed is at my house? I'm suffering. Uh, this is not suffering. That's an inconvenience of spoiled people uh, is what that is. Jesus is laying out and he, he, he's going to show them why it's worth it, why it's worth it. As you consider, uh, Jesus is bringing uh, these three. Now, I, some have made a lot of that these three were chosen and these three are the top uh, disciples, the real apostles or whatever you want to call them, the super apostles. And I just want to tell you that these men were no more worthy to experience what they're going to experience than the ones that were left behind. And if it was now Jesus was coming to our congregation and he chose any three of us, uh, we would be no more worthy than the ones who didn't get chosen. But I still would want to be chosen, by the way. I would want to see what we're going to see in this passage. Uh, Magnificent passage. Incredible. As we pick it up in verse 2, this is the experience. This is what happens. This is what Jesus takes them on this hike up this mountain. It's, it says this, that, that he was transfigured before them. Transfigured before them. As I was considering this word transfigured, I realized that probably you've gone the whole week. You've gone and done what you've done this week. I don't know what you did. You went to work. Uh, you're at home with your kids, you were at your work, which you call the golf course, or uh, I don't know where you were, I don't know who you were talking to, but you talked this week, you shared. I'm guessing that none of us used the word transfigured this week. None of us. It's not really a word. In fact, it's a word for this passage, for this instance. It's not something that we use. In fact, One commentator said this word can be translated a few different ways. You could say it as changed or transformed. But he says, but I prefer the word transfigured or transfiguration. You know why? Because it's different. It's unique. It's something special. It's, it's, if you can say it this way, it's uniquely transformed, uniquely changed in a, a, a special or magnificent way. And, and really this passage, the most difficult thing about this passage is not understanding what's written, but imagining what it is. 
imagining what it is because it's so different from our experience. We have not experienced this. We have nothing to compare it to. There's nothing just like it. In verse 2 it says, and he was transfigured before them. You can picture, so they've hiked up this hill. I don't know if it was a big hill or a high hill. I don't know how long it took them. I don't know if they're huffing and puffing like I would be at the top of the hill. I wondered, I hope they didn't, but I wondered if they were complained along the way. Some of us complain during hikes and, you know, we're not happy when we're hiking, you know. And yet they get to the top and they stand there and this happens just before them. I don't know if there was a moment, I don't know if there was conversation up the hill, but they get to the top and it happens that before their very eyes, as they're looking at Jesus, he is changed, uniquely, magnificently changed. As you consider this, we get two details of how he was changed. And really just one about his person, his person. It says this, that uh, before them, and his face shone like the sun. His face shone like the sun. There was a brightness to it. There was a magnificent to his face, to his face. Uh, As I speculate about what, had gone on and what the totality of what went on on that hill. My guess is that his whole body was transformed, that it was all changed. But Matthew, as he records this, he's not an eyewitness. He is one that has heard this story. He's inspired to write. He focuses on his face and the face is a big deal, right? We all know that. We, we look at each other's face. We, we realize, we recognize people by their face. How many of you have come up from behind someone who you thought you thought that they, you knew who they were and then you had to apologize because uh, you got too friendly at a moment and you realized you didn't know that maybe you were just being friendly or you, it was embarrassing because you didn't know, you know the person by the face. In fact, as we, if we're looking for bad guys, what do we do? There's the face. Look for this guy. Uh, if they're trying to identify you with a computer, they look to the eyes, which is part of the face. And what had happened to Jesus' face, it had been magnificently transformed and changed so that it shone like the sun. It was amazing, bright light, and it was coming from his face. He had been changed. The second thing that we know that was changed was his clothing. Uh, as you consider Jesus, it says that his clothes appeared this way as well. It was a, it was a kind of, his clothes became white as light. White as light. It's interesting, uh, if you would have been with the disciples, if you would have been with the disciples, and Jesus and his disciples, you would have seen them, and they all were wearing clothing, they're all wearing clothing. It probably came from the same store. They all went to Ross before the trip, and they all, all got this. No, it was just clothing. There was nothing special about their clothing. And it wouldn't have been this appearance of anything grand. In fact, that was the difference between Jesus and the other religious leaders. They put on magnificent robes. They, they made sure to identify themselves by their outfit. But Jesus' outfit was common. 
It was just like everybody else's. It, it was something simple. But now he's been changed. And as this transfiguration goes on, we notice and I've been given this insight that his clothing itself was magnificent and it was shown and it, it came as light to them. And as they watched this, I, I can't imagine what they were thinking. I can't imagine what they were experiencing. Jesus was changed before their very eyes. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. As we consider this scripture, uh, these attributes of light, we see them everywhere, including the New Testament when it speaks of the change that goes on in us from darkness to light. This is the change that goes on. And they symbolize some things of glory, of magnificence, of of something that's beautiful. It's a picture of his sovereignty as well, that he is overall, he was was more than. And also his purity, that he's different. He's not dirty and filthy and dull uh, from life, what goes on down here. But rather, he was as the sun, this light coming from him. This is the transfiguration. We long for more. We long for more details. We long to understand it better. And yet, uh, what Matthew gives us under the inspiration of the Spirit is this. He's transfigured. And as he has been changed, in verse 3, we have visitors who show up. And it says, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So we have Moses and Elijah showing up. And we don't have... Uh, details of whether they actually had a a physical body or if there was some kind of spirit that showed up. Uh, I don't think the the three were able to identify them by sight. I don't think so because they'd never met Moses. They'd never met Elijah. They'd been gone for years, hundreds of years. And so uh, I think that there was some identification that went on by Jesus or by them. I'm Moses, I'm Elijah. This is Moses, this is Elijah. And as they begin this conversation, in Matthew's account, we don't even get the the gist of what they're talking about. If you go over to uh, Luke chapter 9, I think that's right, Luke chapter 9, we see in verse 31 that it speaks of uh, the, the conversation. The only thing we get about what they were talking about was that it was about his departure or his death and that he was going to go to Jerusalem and that, that's where these things were going to happen. So you have this conversation. He's transfigured. Then you have Moses and Elijah and there's this conversation. All the while, the, the, the three disciples are standing there watching this. They're watching this display. They're watching this this meeting. As we consider who Moses and Elijah were, you you may ask the question, well, why were they so important? Uh, Many times the Old Testament can be referred to as the law and the prophets. And if you consider it, Moses would be the, the time period of the law and Elijah being the representative or the greatest of the prophets. And they now... Both of them had looked to the Messiah, Moses in a lesser degree, but always looking for the one that was to come. And then the prophets foretelling of, of when, the, when the Messiah was going to come, how he was going to come, what he was going to be about, and how they needed the Messiah. They knew it. 
And so now you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking about the reason that he would come, the reason, the, the big purpose of the Messiah played in the plan of history. As you consider this, remember it's the plan of God. Sometimes we look at uh, history of the Bible or even history in general and we see it as some random facts that just happen to fall out that way. And I want to tell you, there's a, a God who loves us so much who's working out his, his plan according to his purposes in the midst of history. So we see Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured. We have Peter's response, and we, we realize what Peter says, and we don't have any other accounts of the other two sharing anything, but this is what Peter says to Jesus as he's watching this. In verse 4, he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. As I read that, sometimes I struggle with the wording of that, and I'm thinking, is he saying it's good for me not to be here? Like, I, I kind of think that that would be one of those meetings where you realize you're out of your league, I shouldn't be here, this is so, such a great thing. But yet, as we combine the two things, he says, it, it is good for me to be here. It is good for us to be here. And also, I have something that I want to do. And what does Peter want to do? He wants to set up three tents. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So I've considered this. What is Peter saying? What, what is his response? You know what I think it is? I want this to go on for as long as it possibly can. I can't believe I'm here. This is an amazing thing. I get to see this. I want them to set up tents here and stay for a long time. And I want to be a part of this. Just a few verses back in chapter 16, Peter has uh, tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And what was Jesus' response to him? Get behind me, Satan. Okay. Uh, Peter wanted to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And in this passage, you look at this again, and, and I think that he's still clueless. He's going, why don't, we, why don't we hang out here for a long period of time? We don't got anything. This is the best. I want this to go on forever. It's good for me to be here. It, let's set up tents here. Let's stay here a while. Where was Jesus heading? What was part of the plan? He was driving to the cross. He was, he was focused on this is just a step on the road. It's a magnificent step. It's an important step, especially for the three. But as Peter responds to this, he, he wants this to go on for forever and misses the point again. As we go on, we, it doesn't end there. You have Jesus transfigured. You have the visitors showing up. In verse 5, it says this, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Now, and I assume this to be all of them. They're overshadowed by this cloud. This cloud comes over them. And not just any cloud, like a rain cloud or a small cloud that would cover a top of a mountain. But this cloud uh, was a bright cloud. You get a theme here, right? Shown from his face, shown from his clothes, now shown from heaven, a bright cloud. What is it? 
A voice from the cloud says this, and we know who the voice is by what he said. He said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now the father participates in the transfiguration and he's there present speaking. And what does he say? He says, this is my son. This is my son. The one that I love, my beloved special son. And in him, what he is doing, what his life is, I am well pleased. Well pleased. The father identifies the son and says, he's the one. This has happened at his baptism as well, if you recall that. But it's the same type of thing that he is the one. As the father makes sure that those present know Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, they know this man is the father's son, his special son. And not just a son, but a son that is following the Father's plan. Well pleased in Him. You see this identification that the Father goes through that all might know. This, through this bright cloud, the Father speaks about the Son in His presence. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I left out the last three words, but it's going to be very important to our message today. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. It's part of what we're about here this morning is what would this mean to us? And for the three that were there who had to hike all the way up, found it fully worthy because of what they had seen. They'd been identified that this is the beloved son and And they were called to listen to him, to listen to him. Well, you can see the response of the disciples. When the disciples heard this, the word uh, from the Father, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Why were they terrified? Uh, There's plenty of times to be afraid in the Bible and terrified. And why? Why would someone be afraid? Because it's the right thing to do. We don't think about being terrified. We don't think about being, it just happens. How many of you have ever been scared by your kids? How many of you are scared by your kids? Um, there's this thing that goes on. And uh, if you have boys, that you, you, you've had this experience. They come out of their room and they're going like this. And they're going, Arr! and you look at them and they say, I'm a scary monster. And then what are you supposed to do then? Ah, no! And you start running away and they start chasing you. And that, that's how that, that deal goes, right? Uh, that's, but you're not really all that afraid. You're not really all that afraid. The idea of being terrified is just the response of what you're seeing. Of the, you're seeing something that just stirs your heart to say, I'm undone. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, this is ter- I, I can't handle this. And I want to tell you, That's the response to our God. That's our response. As we consider who he is, what he has to say, his plan going forward, they were terrified. And I love this tender moment of Jesus. As he says in verse 7, it says, But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. 
That's all of life right there. We should be terrified. But Jesus says, rise, have no fear. You can trust him when he says it's all clear, even at the transfiguration, right? He's on this mountain. There's stuff they've never seen. They'll never see it again in that sort of way. They, they see it. They're terrified. They hear the, the, the voice of the Lord. They're on their face. They're going, I'm, I'm out of here. He says, rise, have no fear. Jesus says, it's okay. I got it. I got it. I understand the future. I understand the plan. I understand what's going on. You can trust me. Have no fear. It ends this way. It says, And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. End of transfiguration. We'll uh, talk next week about the walking down of the hill and the explanation of this. I read that this morning. But we'll end right here this morning where it says they saw no... It, it was over. It was over. Let me give you three things this morning that should mark us from the transfiguration. We weren't there. Would have been great to have been there. But a magnificent, incredible. It would have marked us. I want to tell you that even before we get rolling on these three things, this was for these three men. These three men were Lord was going to use them instrumentally, and he wanted to show them what was going to happen, okay? So so with these three things I, I give to you this morning. First of all, it should be confirmation for all of us. Confirmation for all well, confirmation of what? A couple of things. Confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. And that what comes after this, the glorification that comes after this is, is wonderful. It's magnificent. It'll be mind-blowing. And that it's worth it. It's worth it. Even if you have to suffer for a lifetime, even if this life is marked by trial after trial after trial, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's confirmation. As, as you hear of a new kingdom, you say, so tell me more. It's going to be like this. It's going to be great. And I'm in. There's going to be suffering and trials. Is it going to be worth it? Is it going to be worth it? And I think that as they got up on that mountaintop and they were revealed that Jesus, his glorified state, and as he uh, hears the words from heaven, I think they would say it's worth it. It's confirmation. I'm going in the right direction. His plan is being worked out. Second thing, I'll just say this. Uh, The father said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Write down, listen to him. Do you have voices in your head? crying out. There's a shouting match going on in your head. Do this. Do this. Come over here. No, don't go over there. Come over here. Do this. People are going to think bad of you if you don't. Don't Come over here. You should do this. This is more important than this. What about this? How about this? Go over here. Do And, and there's this shouting match going on in your head and you go, I don't know what to do. Some of you think, I'll just do it all. I'll just do it all. You can't do it all. And there's a shouting match going on in your head and, and you're going, I don't know. Some people from my past are telling me to do this. Some people in my present. Some people I don't even know. I just read their books. Some people on the news. Some people, I just have all these. I don't know what to do. And the scripture, 
it says this, that there was a time where the cloud covered the mountain, shone an incredible light. And the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. The simplicity of life is this, is do what Jesus wants you to do. What would Jesus want in this situation? How, how would he want you to act? Who would he want you to call? Jesus, who do you want? Where do you want me to participate? What job do you want me to have? What career do you want me to have? Where do you want me to live? Jesus, I just want to do what you want to do. The father said, listen to him. Listen to him. Simplicity of life. Where it gets complicated is when we try to please everybody. We try to answer to everybody. If we do that, we neglect Jesus. We don't listen to the one that we should. Lastly, I want to say this, that as I, as I read this, I, I can't get away from that Jesus is presenting himself not only as the good and kind king, but also the terrifying king, worthy to be worshiped. When I look at this, I go, what a, like, that's too much. Like, I would, you know, I don't think I would have slept for months after a, a situation like that and experienced that and trying to get my head around what happened. It's, it's too much for me. It's, it's terrifying almost. And I want to tell you that he is a magnificent king worthy to be worshipped. He's not a chum that we hang out with. He's not someone that gets to be a part of the discussion of what my life is all about. He's the terrifying king, the one who is over all. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of being in your word. God, I ask that these uh, lessons, this time, it would just stay in our hearts, that it would, be, it would mark us, that it would resonate, that it would affect us this week as we go about our week and God, just as it affected Peter, James, and John, I, I pray that it would set us afire for ministry to see our lives as a part of your plan and want to obey your son Jesus, to want to listen to him. God, thank you for this morning. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.